it's good to have Attorney David Gibbs III here with us tonight. I've not had the privilege of meeting him before, um, but I've heard his dad preach a few times, and of course his dad is the uh, founder, I guess, right, of the CLA yes. and the Christian Law Association, and now uh, his son has started the Christian, well, I say has, I mean, it's probably been a while. You'll tell us about that. Um, uh, but the National Center for Life and Liberty, and we watched that video this morning, and the work that they're doing is tremendously important, especially, especially now. And um, there's just so many things that this uh, the liberal agenda, for that matter, is trying to do against churches. And um, uh, Brother Gibbs has done so many things in favor of that and has fought for that for a lot of years now, and we're excited to have him be able to come up here and preach for us. Thank you, Pastor. And good evening. It's a joy to be with you. I got to, to meet a number of you who are coming in, even got to watch some illegal transactions going on. You know, we were, you know, we, we do have an altar call later in the service, so we, we do have one, uh, you know, expectation at the altar. Uh, but uh, you watched the video this morning, but uh, my life in a nutshell, I'm an attorney and I have the privilege of defending churches like this one. Um, and by the way, as your pastor mentioned, how many understand churches are under attack in America? Uh, my ministry, I say this lightheartedly, is keeping guys like your pastor out of jail. And so he sits here tonight, I feel good about that and, and uh, look forward to your fourth anniversary, exciting times in the life of this church. And, and so we defend churches. And, and let me just say this philosophically, I want you to understand this. The hope of America is not in a courtroom. How many understand that? And it's not in the state house. And by the way, how many believe Richmond's been a mess lately? And it's not in the White House. And by the way, I believe you should vote and be involved. But how many believe it's in the church house? And so uh, I am honored because I believe you are part of the answer for America. Uh, local churches like this across the nation are absolutely key. And so I'm honored to stand with churches. We also work in Washington. We try to be your voice. And uh, we can talk during the Q&A about this a little bit. But how many figured out Washington's a mess right now? Lots of acrimony, division, other things. And, and, and while we stress faith and family, that's very important. One of the other things that we really emphasize is a limited government. Uh, how many believe all three branches are out of control? See, there, there's a lie, and I, I don't think you all believe it, but a lot of Americans believe it, and it, it's simply this, that the government gives you your rights. How many understand all a government can do is take away your rights? Your rights come to you from God. You, you don't speak because the government says you may speak. You speak because that's how God made you. You don't worship because the government says you can worship. You do that because that's within you to follow after your God. You don't defend your family because the government says you defend your family, you do that because that's a natural instinct to defend and to preserve innocent life. And, and a lot of Americans act like the government is the grantor of their rights. And what our founding fathers understood is all a government can do is take away your rights. So regardless of whether it's Mr. Trump or Mr. Biden that wins the election in November, um, how many would like to see the president read the Constitution before he does things? and make sure that it's appropriate. And, and the Congress, by the way, they were supposed to be the most powerful. And um, as we have seen, you know, because they control money and other things, uh, they're not doing their job very well. There's a lot of acrimony division. Uh, they're spending money like crazy. Uh, we bring in about $2 trillion a year. How many believe that's a lot of money? But we spend a little over $3 trillion. I got a hard Sunday night question. Is three more than two? Some of y'all need to run for Congress. We could use your math skills. We could use the help. But, but the reality is, we, yeah, this church can't do this. Your homes can't do it. Your businesses can't do it. 
you don't always have a temporary moment, maybe where you're out of sync, but a non-controlled one-third deficit is going to crash any organization. And by the way, it keeps growing. And at some point, this nation is going to face some very tough issues uh, when we look at, you know, we're out of cash and what do we do? And you say, well, what would be an answer? Well, you know, one of the things on the table is people can't live so long. And you'd be watching where the elderly and the disabled and others would not have their lives protected. And money and morality oftentimes go together. And the Supreme Court, now lots of news right now because of uh, the nomination of uh, currently uh, Judge Barrett, but the now Supreme Court nominee. And um, a little personal note, uh, I actually know her, not super close, but uh, she was a Notre Dame law professor. And uh, after the Terry Schiavo case, she asked me to come do a forum there with uh, the law students at Notre Dame. And so I was honored to be her guest. And so she hosted me and I got to spend some time with her. And, and dealing with these lawyers. And, and, and let me tell you a couple things, just from my own personal experience. She's very, very smart. And by the way, how many believe we need smart people on the court? I mean, you can point anybody, by the way, but prefer not to get a ding-a-ling if you can avoid it, right? All right. But then number two, uh, she's also a woman of principle. And, and how many believe we do need principle on that court? And uh, right now, we have eight. There's nine when you have a full contingency on the court. And they are appointed for life, so they have this incredible ability to influence generations. Now, I think when our founding fathers did that, they never thought they would live so long. You know, back then they were dying in their 30s or 40s, like, yeah, let them do it. You know, I mean, make them happy, give them a job. You know, but, uh, you know, now that they're living at 80 or 90, you know, and, and some of them, there's rumors they've died and they just prop them up. You know what I mean? They're, when I'm before the Supreme Court, I oftentimes view that like nursing home ministry. You know, walkers, wheelchairs, <laughs> oxygen, pray they stay awake, tell stories about their grandchildren. But, you know, the reality is that court is way too powerful and has influence that was never intended by our founding fathers. And so we do try to limit the authority of the government. And then we try to be a voice in the culture. Um, I do some uh, television. If you're a late TV watcher, you may see me on Fox News. Uh, sometimes pop it on there once or twice a month as one of their commentators. We do a lot of radio, speaking in churches, uh, seminars. Uh, we uh, try to help churches avoid unnecessary liability. Uh, how many understand if you're real risk adverse, the only way you can totally avoid liability is you have to die and do nothing. And by the way, how many believe there's a lot of churches that have done that? I mean, they've just caved in or imploded. There's really no. Um, so I'm a big believer in maximum ministry. How many believe this church needs to do more, not less? But you can do maximum ministry and avoid unnecessary liability. And that's where you want to make sure your finances, your children's programs, other things are done well. And so uh, we are honored to work with churches like this one and help you uh, make a difference in your community. And you guys are doing a great job. I'm thrilled with what the Lord has done here. But if you have your Bibles, I'm going to preach a quick little message at you in Acts chapter 4. And as you turn there, what I want to um, point out is the book of Acts. You know this. Um, this is the early church. These are our spiritual forefathers. And, and I'm going to show you a prayer, and I'm going to actually encourage you to think about making this prayer your own. But I just want to set the stage because, you know, we, we Americanize things. I mean, we, we think of the early church, and we almost make them like superheroes, right? Oh, they were super Christians. They were amazing. God did great things. But the reality is, if you think about the early church, um, they weren't really all that educated. They didn't come from the leading families. They were really working class people. And I'm just going to point out they had real obstacles. I'll give you just a couple. 
Uh, one, they had no money. You say, how do you know that? Well, when they named the name of Christ, they were cut off from their families. And you go, oh, well, that's sad. They wouldn't have family support or relationship. Way more than that. They worked for their families. All their money, all their retirement, everything they worked for their whole life, it wasn't in individual bank accounts like what we have here in the United States. It was all tied up in the family enterprise. So when they were kicked out of the family and treated as dead, many of them, maybe a day or two worth of clothes, maybe enough food for a day or two, but it was it. They started over. There was nothing there. And so they went out into a society that allowed for discrimination. Now, in theory, we in America um, treat people fairly. That's the theory. If you go to a store or a restaurant, you have money, the expectation is that you'll be served. And that's kind of what we expect in our country. Uh, their culture allowed you to just not deal with people you didn't like. So if somebody walked in, out of here. I'm not going to trade with you and you're a follower of Jesus, get gone, and, and they could treat you like a troublemaker and not do business with you. By the way, that's why in the Bible you'll see they pooled or they joined all things common. Sometimes people say, well, is that socialism in the Bible? Well, I might suggest it wasn't socialism, it was survival. They had been banned from the general economy, and so they had to create their own little sub-economy. What do you have? What do you have? Here's what I have. And they bought and traded amongst themselves, and We've got these really poor people buying and trading amongst themselves. I say this with a smile. There were no prosperity preachers in the early church. And the reason why, there was no prosperity. You know, you only, you only could preach it if you got it, right? So the, the reality is they had no money. But then the government had turned on them. Now, again, our government, we kind of operate more with, like, all the details, all the information. We get it all together, and... And we kind of operate in shades of gray, or did you cross the line? So um, you might remember the Judge Kavanaugh situation, and there's a lot of question, you know, had he acted inappropriately, or was he within appropriate boundaries? And all this information came forward, and it was ultimately confirmed. It was decided okay, and, and that's kind of how we operate. But in this society, they were much more like uh, black and white. Loyalty oath. So they get called before the judges. And the judge would say, declare your loyalty to this government and deny this Jesus whom we've killed. Now, these Christians weren't stupid. They didn't want to be in trouble. So they'd say, oh, ruling authority, we, we pledge our obedience, and we pay our taxes, and we submit to your ordinances, but we can't do what you've asked. We can't deny our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And by the way, how many believe those are hard words for them to say? Because they knew some immediate consequence was going to come. Guilty, convicted, by their own admission, no need for appeal. Throw them in jail. Now, as you sit here in this lovely auditorium that you've redecorated so nicely, um, on this Sunday night, how many of you like me are glad you're not in jail tonight? And by the way, if you got out this week, congratulations. We're glad you're here. <laughs> COVID early release worked for you. Hey, we're, we're easy going. We're, church is a spiritual hospital. Come on in. But... Uh, but, but let me just say, our jails, as the, the officer or others familiar with the system could tell you, are delightful compared to the jails of this day. Okay, we, we have climate control, we have health care, we feed them, you know, there's some humanity that's expected within our jails. And that was really kind of an American invention. Ben Franklin of Philadelphia was sort of the one that pioneered more humane-type imprisonments. Um, the jails of their day, 
outdoors mostly. Fields, pits, caves. I mean, they're not going to build buildings for prisoners. I mean, that's a waste of time and effort. Nobody cares. And so think hot, you're hot. Cold, you're cold. Wet, you're wet. Dry, you're dry. Um, you're living out in the field. And a little crick of water, yeah, you can drink it. And that's where you're going to bathe, and that's the bathroom, and that's the whole thing. I mean, you're, you're going to be treated like livestock. And interestingly, in their day, no food service. That was a family responsibility. So a wealthy family, once a day, they'd get some food into their prisoner. More middle-class family, maybe every two to three days. Enough to keep their prisoner alive, but it was hard because you had to kind of bribe the judges, and, or excuse me, the guards, and work it back to them, and it was not easy. Now you got the Christians. They're in these jails, no food. Families cut them off. Their friends are dirt poor. They don't have next to nothing, and the guards aren't going to work with them. And so for a lot of these Christians, when they went to jail, it was a death sentence. Six to ten days, they would literally die of dehydration, starvation. And then what they would do is drag the carcasses to the edge, and it became a stench and a mockery, and look what their God did. And, and that was designed to you know, let the other Christians feel the pressure of that. So their government was not friendly to them. But I'll give you one more thought. The people they were trying to reach hated them. And you can see it real graphically. Um, the martyrdoms, the big public murders, um, was for entertainment value. So these people would actually pay money to watch people be massacred and killed. And who was hated at that level? The Christians. So it became sport and entertainment to watch these people be put to death. And, and not to make it unduly unpleasant, but I mean, the Christians had to watch their children be killed before their eyes. The, the men had to watch the wives and the sisters be murdered right there, shackled, helpless to provide support or defense. And, and then the men were killed in a pecking order. They'd start with the younger and they'd work their way to the more mature and the grand finale. I mean, this is the moment they're on their feet, they're cheering, they're yelling. This is before they go home. It's the pastor, the evangelist, the missionary. We could use terms like bishop or elder. It's the man of God they deemed responsible for Jesus in their territory. And they didn't just want that guy dead. They wanted him to die after he had watched both his family and you could say his converts or his church having been killed literally before his eyes. Uh, how many of you, like me, appreciate the sacrifice of the early church? And, and by the way, how many of us also have to acknowledge we're pretty blessed here in America? I mean, uh, we sit here, and, and certainly COVID and uncertainty, there can be things where we're nervous, but uh, how many believe that we have been incredibly blessed in America? And, and then when you think about uh, our government, a lot of issues, I understand, and we'll talk about it in the Q&A, but uh, how many rejoice that we can vote, that we do have a system, and we, there's godly people in law enforcement, others, that we, we have some vestige, some remnant in our system, and, and then our safety. Don't ever take it for granted. It's important that you be careful. But how many rejoice that we're not living in fear of our very lives because we name the name of Jesus? Those are all blessings the early church didn't have. Now look real quick at Acts chapter 4 and verse 29. Notice the prayer they prayed in these circumstances. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants, that with all, the next word is boldness. Say it out loud with me. Boldness, we would speak thy word. What a neat prayer. Lord, look at what's going on. Behold the threatenings, but would you give us, say it one more time, boldness 
to speak thy word. Now, a couple of thoughts in this COVID and protest and election and this contested time, almost this stressful time in American history. Notice in their prayer, they didn't pray for the threatenings to go away. They just said, Lord, behold. Now, they could have said, Lord, behold the blessings. They just didn't have very many. They could have said, Lord, behold anything else. They had threatenings. They said, Lord, behold the threatenings. They accepted the fact that God was on the throne and that nothing comes into your life that he's not aware of first. By the way, how many believe God knows what's going to happen tomorrow? I hope everybody here is healthy, but if it's cancer or if it's clear, how many believe God knows? By the way, if your 401k is on its way to becoming a 101a, uh, how many are saying God knows, right? And we get all worked up over finances or we worry about different things. Uh, COVID, uh, how many believe there's a lot of fear in the culture, health and wellness and what can we do? How many believe God knows? Uh, God knows who's going to win the election. God knows who's going to be on the Supreme Court. And, you know, a ticket to a lot of stress, and by the way, there's a ton of this in our culture right now, okay? Um, people all worked up, you know, they call it COVID fatigue, decision fatigue, stress issues. You know, every parent in America became a homeschooler, and many of them discovered they don't like their kids that much, okay? So, I mean, it was very stressful. You know, husbands and wives, they didn't get along all that well, but they went to work all the time. Now they're at home all the time and working, and it's very stressful. There's all this tension in the air. You know, a ticket to a ton of stress is trying to control what you can't control. The early church could have worked themselves into a frenzy. said, man, we might get murdered. We, you know, they said, Lord, behold, you know. You know what's going to happen. But then what did they pray? What they prayed for is what they could control. Their reaction, their response to their circumstances. They said, Lord, would you give us this boldness? Now, it would have been tempting to do nothing, but they said, no, no, our response, we need to boldly speak. Now, notice when they asked for boldness, it was not boldness to give their own opinion. By the way, uh, how many of you like me are tired of all the other opinions in the world? Murphy, let's have a, an honest, transparent moment. How many have ever had a truly stupid opinion? Can I see your hand, please? If you didn't raise your hand, you lied in church, okay? Uh, I mean, you're going to have to come forward with the marijuana dealer. But the reality is, uh, the, the, the bottom line is, as we're, and everybody's like, man, I didn't know she had that stuff. You know, I mean, but, but the, sorry, officer. I, you know, I'm an officer of the court. I had to let you know. But the, 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 the bottom line with all this is, as we look at it, um, it's very important that we recognize it's not our opinions that are worth suffering for. And by the way, we're in a society right now that almost worships human opinion, right? right. What's viral? What's trending? What's online? What's hip? What's cool? There, there's a lot of, and, and the early church said, you know, if we're going to die, it's not going to be for our own opinions. And they didn't have the TV like we have, but they said it's not going to be the media that's going to drive what we're going to die for. And it's not going to be the politics. They didn't say the different parties. or the different, And they even didn't say we're going to boldly declare the words of Peter or Paul or other great religious leaders. They said we're going to boldly declare the truth of the word of God. And how many believe that's the kind of boldness we need in America? A couple thoughts and we'll be done. Number one, we need more bold churches. Now, good news, you're sitting in one. Are you happy about that? 
Four years ago, this one was birthed, but we need churches like this that give the whole counsel of the Word of God and boldly declare the truth. Now, you say, well, what, what's different about this kind of church? Well, the fact that you get the whole diet. You know, there's a lot of churches in America, and we don't criticize churches, but let me just tell you what's different. They're what I call frosting and ice cream churches. How many know what frosting and ice cream is? Sweet stuff and it tastes good. But if you eat frosting and ice cream all the time, now college kids have tried it, doesn't work well, right? <laughs> because if you eat frosting and ice cream, you're not very healthy, you start, you know, skin breaks out, you get fat, you don't have energy, because why? Your body needs the full nutrition, right? You need the, the meat, the potatoes, the vegetables, the fruit, you need the whole complement of things that God intends for you to take, and that will let you be strong. How many rejoice that you're in a church that gives you the whole spiritual diet out of the Word of God and lets you be strong? And, and I would just challenge you. Some of you say, Brother David, I'm not in government work. I'm not involved in the courtroom. What could I do to make a difference? Could I give you this thought? And, and you guys got a great spirit, but could I challenge you to be excited about this church like never before? You say, well, Sunday night, I'm here. Count for something? Yeah, it does. We're glad you're here. But let me tell you what human excitement is. Um, three things. Excited people talk. Excited people spend time. Excited people spend money. How many believe that's human excitement 101? Uh, in this room, do we have any hunters, preacher? Anybody like to hunt? Okay, what's a hunter do? They talk, right? Are you a hunter, brother? Oh, not really. Okay. A little too manly for you. I, I got it, yeah. But no, but all right, I've got a hunter in the back. Oh, you hunt them down. You, you, you know, I... You know, I, I always pray, you know, that you don't run into him on a bad day. You know, you're hurting him off. But what will a hunter do? They'll talk, they'll lie, they'll exaggerate, right? Because they're excited about it. Um, and time, I mean, oh man, church is early, but I mean, they'll be sitting in a deer stand, three, four in the morning, cold days. And money, I mean, weapons. I need this $1,500 weapon uh, to go shoot $4 animals. You know, I mean, it, it works out. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Because that's how God made you, by the way. You're made in his image. You're not a sophisticated animal. You don't operate on impulse or instinct or scent uh, like the animal kingdom. You are made in the image of God. So there's a lot of good things. You want an imbalance. There's a lot of things that you can be excited about, passionate about, enjoy the goodness of what God's put here in his creation. But let me flip it just quickly. How excited are you about your church? You guys got a cool church to talk about, right? Four-year anniversary, a lot going on, new, word of mouth, great location. You almost fall into it off the interstate. I mean, you guys got a lot going on for you. Hard road to cross there, officer, but I got to cross, all right? But, uh, you know, it was careful. Look both ways. But, uh, yeah. but the reality is, what are you going to talk about this week? I mean, is it going to be the ball games? Is it going to be what's going on with different things in politics? Is it going to be about the Supreme Court? Is it going to be about what was on Facebook or some you know, TikTok video, or are you going to talk about this church and the things of God? You know, one of the most powerful things you can have is word of mouth. Business knows that. But how many understand the world out there will never get more excited than we are in here? Now, I'm preaching to the Sunday night crew, but let me just say this. How many believe your presence is important? Now, you come to church and you get things. I get it. You got a great preacher. You got great music. By the way, the ensemble, mixed ensemble, beautifully done. I mean, I, I just blessed hearing them sing. They did a great job. But here's the bottom line. You don't just come to church for what you get. You also come to church for a couple other reasons. Let me give you a couple. To be an example to others. Uh, you say, well, my grandkids don't even come. You know what? They're still wondering whether you're coming. 
There's a modeling. By the way, the Bible talks about that. The older set the example, the pattern of life for the younger. And then one other thing, um, we can be encouraging one to another. Uh, how many believe there's a fellowship component? Now, you know, your pastor, and he's worthy, and his dear family, of your encouragement and support. A lot of times you'll say, hey, preacher, great sermon. That was good. You talked to me. The Lord used that. And, and we should encourage him. But how many believe we also ought to encourage everybody else? There may be somebody in here that's really got a hard life right now. Things aren't going well. There could be a single parent. There could be a widow. There could be somebody struggling. And, and you could be the person. Your word could be the thing that encourages them, helps them. Um, gives them strength, and, and that might be your ministry. And you say, well, I don't know who that person is. You know, everybody here fits into one of two categories. You're either a hope putter inner, or you're a hope sucker outer. And in case you're wondering, the hope putter inner is the nicer one. Okay, that, that's the one we want you to be. So be encouraging, be upbeat, be, be somebody that, and, and by the way, if you're the hope sucker outer, you're no fun to be around. I'll just tell you that right now. I try to avoid it, you know, high maintenance, trouble, you know, preacher, you know, oh my. But, you know, the, the reality is when you come, you have the opportunity to be that blessing. And then money, you guys have given, you've sacrificed, you've done great, your church is doing great. I'm here to commend you for that. But I always view giving to God is a lot like getting a, a Christmas present from your own child. My kids are grown. I, I'm 51. I turn 52 next month. And uh, they're adults. They're Christians. They're doing great. But when they were little, Danielle, my little daughter, she'd kind of come up to me, and she'd be like, Daddy, I want to get you a Christmas present. I'd be like, oh, Danielle, thank you. That's really sweet. And she'd say, can I have some money? <laughs> and you all did that too, right? You're still doing it, preacher, right? I mean, the, the kids want to go buy you something, and you give them some cash. Now, let me tell you what my daughter Danielle would do, and your kids have done the same thing. She would not spend all of that money on me. Okay, you know, she was a consumer. She was shopping. But there were things she needed, right? Gum or earrings or whatever. She'd buy stuff. And, and she'd take a portion of her daddy's money, and she'd buy me a present. And, and I love those presents, and that was, I was glad to do it. But can I just flip it quickly? How many believe God's been too good to all of us? He gives you education, opportunity, health, uh, things to do, ability to earn a living. And, and he blesses you, and we get to give a little bit back to him. How many believe we need to be excited like never before? Hear my sentence carefully. I don't want your church to survive. I want it to thrive. And how many believe there's a difference? Great energy, great spirit, great leadership here. You've got a great future. But, you know, there's a lot of churches across America that have kind of gone into survival mode. Brother David, we're hanging on. You know, it's kind of like the old Motel 6. We got the light on. <laughs> Nobody wanted to stay there, but the light was on. You know, I mean, it's kind of like a little depressing. You know, <laughs> beats being homeless, barely. You know, I mean. And so what I'm encouraging you is, is, is keep the energy and the spirit and what you've got here and to be excited about this church because it is making a difference in our country. I'll give you one more thought and we'll be done. We don't just need bold churches, and you've got one, but we also need bold individuals for Jesus. You know, there's a phrase that the uh, LGBTQ has coined in they're taking over the alphabet, so you got to keep up with them. <laughs> By the way, in the legal briefs now, they're the sexual minority community. They've tightened it up a little bit. But they coined a phrase. They said, we're out of the closet. And I think we'd all agree that they are. 
they're very vocal, they're in our media, they're in our government, they're in our um, common discourse. You know, I say LGBTQ, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, they're definitely out of the closet. But here's what's kind of sad to me. A lot of Christians I know have climbed in. Now, now hear me out. They're not bad people. Matter of fact, they're going to heaven. They might actually give money to the church. They're kind of fun to be around. They're not bad people. They're not in horrific sin or anything. But they've kind of made a little decision that it's just easier to keep their faith to themselves. And they've just kind of slipped into the closet. Now, they want to go to heaven when they die. They believe the Bible. They're not abandoning their faith, but they've just sort of thought, you know, with my family or with my coworkers or with my world, my contacts, my neighbors, people I meet, it's just really easier for me to stay in the closet. And, you know, as the church has grown quieter, how many believe the other voices have filled the vacuum? I think it's on your bulletin, one reaching one. Let me just give you a little thought. If you made the decision tonight, I want to reach one soul for Jesus this year. Now, now hear me, you can do more, but just, just hear my thing. I'm going to reach one this year, and then I'm going to disciple them well enough to go reach a soul for Christ a year, and then I'm going to go do it again. That would be one reaching one, two reaching two, and it would begin to grow. But interestingly, exponentially, to use a big word in church, we would not reach the great state of Virginia or even the United States we could reach the whole earth, everybody on the planet, in about 37 years. If you reach a soul for Christ a year, disciple them well enough to go reach a soul for Christ a year. See, David, that's kind of neat. I get it. Mathematically, that could work out. But we got a problem. And we got a good church. We like our church. But, Brother David, there's some people here. You already said they're in the closet. They're not going to do it. So your plan won't work. Well, can I give you... Some more good news tonight. We don't need those people. We just need you. You're like, oh, man. Came to church in the middle of a pandemic, and now i got to save the whole world. Seems like a lot of responsibility. Okay, hear me out. Okay, we grew up, uh, your, your dad was a hero to me, and, and we grew up in the 70s. We saw lots of preaching that was heavy on the guilt. Okay, man, very guilty. Okay, well, I'm not here to make you feel guilty. Because guilt is oftentimes a poor motivator. Because, um, you know, if you don't keep the guilt on, you know, and by the way, parents think about this too, you know, constantly torturing your kids. They try to escape. But, uh, you know, the guilt is not necessarily the best way to curb behavior. But I'd love to open your eyes to the possibility. Anybody here could do it. And if 37 scares you, let's just scrap that. Would you be willing to try it once? And you're sitting here, late September, almost October 2020. Boy, it's 2020 been a crazy year. But you say by next October 2022, or 21, excuse me, um, I'm going to try to reach one soul for Christ. And you start thinking about who that might be, a friend or a relative. You've got Thanksgiving, Christmas, other opportunities social gatherings, events, and, and I'm going to try to reach one, and, and then I'm going to try to disciple them. And by the way, that's tougher. Why? You have to be nice to them. You have to spend time with them. You've got to kind of pick them up where they're at. You know, people are coming in with more scars and more baggage and more issues, and so it's, it's not even quite as easy as it was because culture has 
gotten so decadent that discipling is a challenge, but you, you disciple them. And, and if you did it once, how many believe you might actually then maybe do it again? You say, well, Brother David, today's world, you're being a little inspirational, but not going to work. I mean, you know, people don't want to hear it, and it's hard. And, and you know what? Aren't you delighted the early church didn't grab on to every reasonable excuse they had? If I was an early church Christian, I'd have been a bad one. I'd have had attitude problems. God, I mean, do you have to take all our money? I mean, we're, we're like little beggars. I mean, we, we can't even move from town to town. We're supposed to go around the whole world. We can't even eat. And God, this government, they're not very nice. I mean, they, they, those jails, God, that's not a jail. That's a death trap. That, that's abuse. I mean, how in the world? And God, let me get this straight. You want to reach people. And these people hate us so much that they pay money to watch us die. God, your plan stinks. But you know, they didn't do that, did they? They prayed exactly what's in Acts 4.29. They said, now, Lord, behold, hey, it's not great. There's threatenings all around. We've got a lot of issues. But would you grant, would you give us as your servants that with all, say it one more time, church, boldness. We would speak the truth of thy word. Now, don't do a vain repetition, but how many believe we could take that verse and make it our own? And I, I'd even challenge you, put it on your phone. How many figured out the phones have gotten smarter than the people? Let it pop up once a day. First couple times you see it, you'll be like, oh yeah, what was that again? You'll have to remember, but you'll get the concept of the prayer. Lord, behold, and by the way, praise him for the good. Acknowledge what's got you worried. Lord, behold, but would you give me that boldness? I'm going to believe God would hear and answer those prayers. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? And We're going to have just a brief invitation, and then as your pastor mentioned, we're going to go to a time, a question and answer. And I'm going to presume for just a moment everybody that's here is a Christian. I'm going to presume that in this church on a Sunday night you know Christ. And I'm just going to ask a simple question, and that is, did the Holy Spirit challenge you tonight? And would you be willing to take Acts 4.29 and make it your own? Tonight, as you sit here and think about what's going on in our country and our world, but say, Lord, would you give me that boldness? Let me be excited about this church like never before. Lord, even right now, there's somebody I could be trying to reach. I could start praying. You say, Brother David, that's the prayer of my heart. The Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I... I do want to adopt this prayer as my own. Would you slip your hand up and back down anywhere in the building? Yeah, a lot of hands, folks. Just And it's just you and God. I'm not, I'm not putting any pressure on you. I just want you to be thinking and, and just saying, you know what? I'm going to leave this service different than I came. Father, you've seen our hands. More important than uplifted hands, Father, you've seen our hearts. And Lord, our prayer now is that we would not just be hearers, but that we would be doers. That we wouldn't just let this sermon wash off us and, and we get back home and get through the night and get into the Monday and, and we're just going to live like we did before because it's just comfortable being in the closet. But Lord, that you would give us that heaven-sent boldness. Lord, I pray for pastor and the anniversary service, a renewed sense of boldness on this great church. I pray for the men that are here, Lord, that you'd shower them with leadership and boldness. 
Lord, I pray for the ladies that you'd give them great opportunity and great boldness. Lord, for the young people. Lord, they could literally live 37 years and see a world reached for Jesus. It's so simple if we would just follow your word. Lord, the early church turned their world upside down for Jesus. Father, our heart, our prayer is that you would bless us and we could do the same. In the great and matchless name of Jesus, I pray, and together we all said, amen. amen. I'm going to transition, and we are going to open the floor to questions. Now, hear me out on the questions. I will take any question you've got. Now, I have one rule. Okay, it's a simple rule. If you're the, and I'm sorry to make you run up and back, but we, a little exercise, aerobic, you know, cardio is good for you. But, uh, um, but with that, um, if you're the weird guy in the church, and by the way, how many believe every church has a weird guy? Matter of fact, how many have a reasonably good idea who the weird guy is? No, I, don't point, and then he'll feel bad, and you know. Uh, but the reality is, it's an open forum. You can ask any question you want, anything legal, constitutional, anything you've been wondering about. You got a lawyer up here working for free. Now, now I've, I've scared you a little bit. You're like, oh, man, I want to be the weird guy. What if my questions aren't good? Now, now I've got you in a bashfulness. So I always need that brave person. So who wants to be our first question person? Preacher, fire away. I'll be the weird guy. All right, well, you're the man of God. So we'll, 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 go ahead, sir. So um, what is kind of the difference then between the CLA and the NCLLA? Is it kind of the same thing? I worked with CLA for a long time, and, and my dad is now uh, almost 80. And, and, and by the way, um, how many appreciate when folks have stayed in ministry a long time? You know? and, and, and by the way, um, my dad, um, he can hardly preach less than an hour. So if, if he was here, you'd be here well into the night. I, I want to let you know that. It, but uh, uh, in that vein, uh, CLA was a ministry that I was with for a long time, and about 10 years ago, it morphed into being more his preaching and evangelism, and he still does great work with that. And so I ended up with half the staff, all the cases, and dad kept all the money. It worked out for him, but, you know, <laughs> but in that vein. So we are more the legal, the legislative. Uh, we go to court. We work with all the churches on the, the litigation matters. And, and we've had kind of an interesting run. Um, I have just recently really started traveling quite a bit more. So much of the country was shut down with COVID and other things. So over the last few months, I've actually traveled less than I have in my adult life and been working longer hours. Every church in America, right, had the same problem at the same time. So every school, every, and, and then, you know, I thought, oh, okay, finally, we've kind of hit the, uh, we'll call it the new COVID normal. Well, we're now flooded with kind of interesting you know, the what do we do now cases. I mean, I was just with a church yesterday night uh, for their Saturday evening service, and they were, um, you know, one of our elders and leaders in the church. He's been teaching Sunday school. He just got COVID. He just gave it to his mom, How, you know. And so we're, we're kind of dealing with all of the management of COVID. What do you do when a kid gets sick? I mean, one high school was like, well, if a kid gets sick, we'll, we'll send their, all their classmates home. Well, I mean, Quickly, they found out, you know, one or two sick kids, and they cleaned out their high school. I mean, there was nobody there. And so it, it's a reasonable management of it all. And so we partner with churches like yours, and, and the goal is to help you succeed. Uh, we believe in the local church. Um, so like with a ministry like this, you say, well, we need to get our property. Well, we come alongside, and we, we help you with your legal needs. And so uh, we partner with churches kind of as your general legal counsel. 
And so uh, we work with thousands of churches across the nation. Uh, we have a very dedicated team. Uh, they work very hard and stay busy on it. But um, we are in the legal, the legislative realm, the litigation realm. Um, we believe in the autonomy of the local church. Let me tell you that too. So if you say, well, our church is going to do this. Okay, great. We will follow the lead of your church. So like some churches um, say, you know, we're not going to require a mask. Your church would be in that category, right? You, it's an option. You could wear it if you feel like it. But we're not going to require it. Other churches say, we are going to require it. Okay, well, we honor the local church. And, and by the way, how many believe that God has ordained the local church? And there's authority and leadership and decisions. Now, there are things that we will tell you that we think are very, very smart. So if you say, like, um, we're going to drive a dilapidated old vehicle that's been deemed unfit for public transportation by the government, and we're going to put somebody in there that doesn't have a driver's license, and we're going to load 92 kids in a 40-passenger vehicle without seatbelts, I might say that's a bad idea, right? <laughs> By the way, I kind of just described the bus ministries of the 70s, but I, I'm sorry about that, you know. But, but the reality is we, we want to, <laughs> your flashbacks, you're like, I was on that bus, you know. But, but, but the reality is, you know, we do need to realize times have changed in America. And so we always encourage churches towards excellence, but kind of in that goal, maximum ministry, minimum liability. Another question. Yes, sir. Yes, As a matter of fact, one case that I was somewhat well known for, we actually lost, it was very sad. Um, some of you might remember the Terry Schiavo case, ring any bells, that, was the, that case was uh, back in 2005, so young people, you weren't even born, and, and you know, college kids look at me like, what? You know, stone tablets, Moses was co-counsel, you know, you're back, <laughs> dinosaurs roamed the earth, you know. So you actually know what a payphone is, wow, you're cool. You know, so it was back in the day, but basically, um, that case went to Supreme Court back twice, and, and let me just say that. That case was an interesting case. It was a case that hit the media, okay? Uh, lawsuits being media interesting is kind of a new phenomenon, okay? The very first one was the O.J. Simpson trial, right? What did you have? Murder, celebrity, you know, whodunit, you know, all those people, Judge Ito, you know, it was kind of like a whole little thing, and people watched it for a year and a half, and almost be, it spawned the whole court TV network, and, People launched careers off of it. It became kind of a big deal. Then there were a couple other cases, all out of California. Uh, Michael Jackson's abuse case, Scott Peterson, did he kill his wife or not? You know, kind of the whodunit, all near Hollywood, all kind of on the West Coast. And then Terry Schiavo's case came up. And her case was unique. It wasn't in California, it was in Florida. It wasn't a murder case. It was a, really a probate guardianship case, kind of a low-level case. And it would rise up and capture and become the number one news story in the world. And with all that media attention, it always fascinated me how much misinformation there was. And by the way, how many believe we need to be careful what we read and see? And you know, a lot of people go, you know, that was that girl that was dead on life support, family wouldn't let her go. Let me just say this quickly, as alive as you and I, um, not sick, no cancer, no Alzheimer's, no heart disease, and all she needed was food and water to stay alive. And by the way, how many of you need food and water? Can I see your hand, please? Right? Our problem is not eating too much, right? We've got to be careful. But the whole issue of the case, can we take food and water away from a girl who is alive and not dying? And as we know, after a lot of litigation, um, the Supreme Court back twice in 10 days, um, it was allowed for her to die. 
So I was actually in with Terry Schiavo with her mother the last time she'd see her alive. And um, generally you die after six or seven days. Um, Terry hung on for 13. Um, I think showing, um, you know, first of all, she was healthy. And number two, demonstrating some will to live. But uh, so there are always some tough cases, you know, where you just have to say, wow. Um, there are some tough situations. And again, your church is young, so you have a, a blessed short history. Uh, but how many understand sometimes in the history of a church, uh, there's people who behaved nicely. There's people who behaved badly. And by the way, how many believe sin can hurt a church? That's why you want to have good policies, procedures. But I mean, you know, I've also been with a church that, you know, the senior pastor's in jail because he abused children or stole money. And, and that's sad because it, people are hurt and people are confused. And they're like, well, uh, you're probably watching now in the news a little bit, you know, uh, Liberty University. Some people are like, what happened? And, you know, we thought this was a leader. And, you know, and so there's always that element of some of it that is, is sad to me to see a church struggle through the consequences of sin. Uh, but how many believe we don't necessarily fight for victory, and I want to win cases, but let me get my sentence out and it'll make sense. We don't just fight for victory. How many believe we stand in the victory of Jesus Christ? You know, if I come here and defend your pastor, and I hope this never happens, but if he has to go to jail for preaching Jesus, how many believe we need to be standing in the victory of Jesus, regardless of what this world says? And so making sure that your principles are right. I always filter cases through three things. Number one, make sure you're right. How many believe right will always line up with the Word of God? Number two, make sure you do it the right way. We're pro-life. Uh, let's go blow up an abortion clinic. Wait a minute. I just thought you said you're pro-life. You're going to go kill somebody? You're a little confused there, aren't you? And, and by the way, the pro-life movement never recovered from that shooting in Pensacola and other things. So you can have the right stand done the wrong way, but make sure you do the right stand the right way, but here's a tough one. Now I'm preaching with the right spirit. And by the way, how many believe your spirit's your testimony? So be careful that you always guard your spirit. We got time for another one or two. Anybody else with a question? Yes, sir. Well, I, this may sound a little crazy, but I'll, I'll tell you how we do it, okay? If it's a church that we are partnered up with, we pretty much help them regardless. So if a church is in trouble, uh, we will stand with the church, okay? So that's a, we're, we're very, so institutionally, we will stand by the organization, the church, and the ministry. Now, you still have insurance, I mean, if you drive over the neighbor's fence post or something, but I'm talking in terms of anything with your freedom, any risk management, other things. So we stand with the church. On the individuals, we do two things. Um, we say, number one, um, we want to see it in writing. I had, had an old boy say to me, you know, I was fired for witnessing for Jesus. Well, that doesn't sound good. I said, well, can I see the paperwork? Well, I'll send you the paperwork. Now, the paperwork's going to say I was late 42 days in a row, and on my way out the door, I told my boss he needs Jesus. So, you know, uh, how many understand he wasn't fired for witnessing? So you, you want to try to make sure that, you know, I've decided life's too short to go to court on behalf of weird people, all right? So I just try to, you know, so I want to see the paperwork, make sure the facts are. And, and I mean, I had situations, I mean, we, we have a state trooper, I've had situations where government employees have been mistreated or things have truly gone wrong, but you want to be able to see what the documentation actually says. But then number two, I say, may I have your permission? It's your case, but I may have your permission to talk to your pastor. Now, if someone goes, 
I don't have a pastor. Red flags go off, okay? How many are saying you might be in the weird person category? Or I am my own pastor, or I do, you know, I do this, or I do that, or, you know. And, and so I, I want to, because there's a couple reasons, this is sort of practical. First of all, if a pastor will vouch for that person, how many believe that's a good sign? If the pastor says, I know this person, they're in my church, they're good people, you know, if they made a mistake, I'll stand with them. But, so they, they get the whole, you know, I, I call it almost like support group, right? Because you need, you know, you might be in litigation for years, and I don't want to be, you know, this person's counselor or their spiritual guidance. I can't. I mean, I don't have the time or the ability. So they need to have somewhere where they stay spiritually grounded and strong as they go through this process. And so we can handle the legal side, but we really try to do it in partnership with the church. So on the individual cases, we're always looking for, you know, we make sure the facts are right. We don't want to hurt the cause of Christ. And then we want to do it in sync with the church. And, and that's generally been our best success on that. But you're right. It, you can't take every case in the world. And by the way, there are some whiny people out there that want to sue everybody, right? You know, I mean, it's almost the American thing to do. I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you one. I was with a church and, uh, um, in Moneta, a pretty big church, and and they, they said, you know, the health department called and they asked questions about what we were doing. And, and so, you know, we answered questions and, you know, the, should they have called, should they not have called, was it abuse, was it abuse of their power? And the pastor was nice to him and he talked to me. I said, just answer their questions. I mean, they're trying to do their job. Don't get in a spitting match with them, just answer. And, and so he handled it and they said, okay, preacher, we're fine. And, and they left him alone. Well. A lawyer in their town contacted them and said, let's sue the health department. They should have never even called you. Okay, well, maybe that's true. But how many understand it's a little whiny to go to court over one phone call? And I said, Pastor, you're going to be in this town a long time. And he didn't want to do it, by the way. But I said, you're going to be in this town a long time. They let you do what you wanted to do. Okay, so maybe, maybe they violated your rights in calling. Maybe that was an inappropriate phone call. Maybe they abused their authority. But they were at least nice about it. You didn't have any negative consequences. And won't you look a little whiny suing your government and trying to take tax dollars? So I always tell folks when you go to court on the offense, make sure that you've got a pretty good case. You know, um, you know on the defense, you're defending yourself. You know, there's always some sympathy. But on the offense, you want to make sure that you've got it nailed down pretty tight. One more question. Who wants to be our last? Yeah, officer. That's correct. Well, and I want to add one more thing, because I, I believe this, and, and, and you obviously in law enforcement are watching the decline in our culture. We as a society used to respect authority and the office. Okay, um, let me explain. There are things that Barack Obama did as president that we'd all disagree with, and there's things Donald Trump has done as president we all disagree with. But how many believe they're still the president of the United States? And regardless of who wins the election in November, how many believe we should respect the office of the president? You know, I always got a little worried, you know, and I'm not trying to label, but like some of the Tea Party fringe type stuff and you know, we're going to go shoot, or militia types, or we're going to storm Richmond, we're going to scare the governor with our guns. I mean, that's, you, you lose your testimony, because what you're really trying to do is be violent or scary, and um, being a bully was never Jesus's model. Now, he stood against what was wrong. I mean, he's willing to throw out the money changers. I'm not, when it was in the church, he asserted his authority, 
But, you know, they were always pushing Jesus to do more in the government. Aren't you going to take over? Aren't you going to do things? And he said, that's not why I'm here. And so your testimony is something that you always want to uh, preserve. Uh, there, there's a story um, here in Virginia. They were handing out the mandate, and uh, they were going to put churches on a much more restrictive mandate than the 50%. And one preacher had a letter that I'd helped him draft, and so he was there, in the, and he walked up to the governor and said, Mr. Governor, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but according to this letter, that's not fair. And he hands him the thing, you can't let Walmart have more than us. And literally the governor goes, oh, well, let's make it fair. Let the churches have the same. Now, if he'd have come in and threatened to sue or threatened to attack or hit him over the head, he had his moment. He was respected enough that he was in the presence of the governor. He had his facts together, and he said it's not fair. And that allowed the churches to have a lot more liberty in Virginia than like what California or some other places are experiencing, even with governors that may not be as inclined. And so um, how many believe we should be respectful whenever we're before the magistrates or the ruling authorities. So, do you have a question? We are, our staff is right now at 40 full time, and we have offices. Uh, we're headquartered in Florida. The DC office is smaller. Um, with Texas and California, our staff. Um, we then work with a network of attorneys. So we do have hundreds and hundreds of attorneys. Now, they, they can be all over the map from doing a lot with us to not doing so much. But what we try to do is we always manage it because we want to make sure, in particular when we're dealing with the churches, that things are being done well. And then we also are able to replicate, which is, you know, we kind of become a subject matter expert. And so, like, if somebody says, we want to update our bylaws, what are 10 things we should be looking at to make our church stronger? Well, we have a lot of things, and, and each church is different. Some churches will be stronger in certain areas. Some churches, you know, deacons do a lot. Some churches, they don't do so much. You know, it can vary church to church, but the point is we can help them by having that expertise across the issues they face. How many say you learned at least one thing tonight? Let me see your hand. How many glad you learned it here, not at the courthouse, right? <laughs> now, I'll do one final thing. I think they handed out some envelopes when you were sitting down. If you would like, now no pressure, but if you'd like to get our newsletter, we'll send it to you at no charge. Um, fill out the envelope uh, with your address or with your email, and then uh, you can turn it in at the table as you go. A number of you, when you came in, I gave you a pen and a brochure and some other things. Uh, if you didn't get one, I didn't ignore you, I just missed you. You're welcome to take one as you leave. Um, if you put any money in the envelope, 100% will go to the cases. None of it goes to me personally. It will go to help with the litigation. And uh, we are a ministry. Uh, we're supported by churches and individuals. Uh, but don't feel any pressure on that. You say, I'm going to fill it out. I'm going to pray. I know you're supporting your church and doing a lot of good work here. Uh, we'd love to stay in touch with you. And again, we will help your pastor. We're going to help this church. But if we can ever be a blessing or help to you, we would be honored to do it. So, Pastor, I will turn it to you, sir. that and, and um, um, if you didn't get one of these I would recommend you pick one up and uh, fill it out get get their updates and stay uh, look we are so inundated with news from the the media that is anti-church and anti-god and that's just what's shoved down our throat you know and we're not hearing the stories about the churches that are being you know suppressed and everything else um, by, by getting in touch with them and, and being on their newsletter and stuff, and I, and I get the newsletter from the CLA, 
a uh, lot of good information in there, and, and I'm certainly going to sign up to get the newsletter for here. But it, it just it helps us to stay informed on what's going on. And that is something that we you've just talked about that this morning. We have to be aware of what's going on or how do we keep the bad things from happening if we don't even know that the bad things are going on. And the next thing you know, we're going to be in the middle of it and we're not going to have any idea of, about what's been going on with other churches and everything else. So um, definitely get involved in that. But also, I would highly recommend that you give them um, uh, some support. It doesn't have to be a monthly support thing. You can do a one-time uh, a one-time offering to help out with what they're doing. I believe 100% in what they're doing. And I know that most of you do as well. And um, uh, like you said, everything that you give toward that goes directly toward the ministry. And look, it may not be that our church needs it today or next week or next decade, but some church does. And if it was our church, we'd certainly be glad that others joined in and, and uh, partnered with that. So uh, do what you can, and uh, we'll set an offering plate um, in the back. Brother Josh, if you can just put it down there right where the bulletins are, and we'll drop all of those in there, and then we'll collect them, Brother Gibbs, and give, it, give everything to you at the end. And, and uh, this is the one that you want the address on, right? So, yeah, these little envelopes right here. If you did not, does anybody need one that didn't get one when you came in? All right, we've got a couple here. Brother Josh, do you still have them? Oh, he's got them. Okay. All right. Great. Great. Well, we certainly appreciate it, Brother Gibbs. And um, I, w I was just talking to him about it before the service. We're going to talk about it a little bit afterwards. But one of the things that we've mentioned quite a few times is um, obviously praying about getting this building. And we don't have $6 million and probably never will uh, until Brother John dies and leaves it to us. But um, we don't want him to go yet. So we don't have the money. But. Um, <clears throat> Yeah. yeah, you willing to go soon, brother? <laughs> Just do it on duty so your wife's taken care of. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the things that I've thought about, and I, I know I've mentioned it to others as well, is that um, certainly uh, the organization, General Land Contractors, that owns this building owns tons of properties as well, Mike Carroll, and um, he's the, he owns it, or he's at least, like, uh, at least a big part of the managing uh, section of that. Um, could use it as a tax write-off. And so I've been trying to, I mean, just, you know, it's been going around in my mind for a year. How can we, you know, what's the best way to do it? So he's gonna, we're going to talk about drafting maybe a letter that would allow them to be able to do that over a period of several years to give them a write-off every year. Uh, so who knows? Who knows? He, I, I mean, like Brother Gibbs said, all he can say is no, you know, and uh, you just don't know what God will do and, and how God will use it. So um, anyway, that's the kind of stuff that they do, and that's something that is so necessary and so needed, especially in our country uh, today for, for churches. Um, we talk about the hope of America being in the church, and if we're not defending churches to keep the doors open, then how are we going to keep the hope alive? And so um, it's so important that we do that. So fill that out, and uh, if you can, Give toward that as well, and then put in the offering plate there at the back on the way out. All right, we'll close in prayer, and then we'll sing our song and be dismissed. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. What a blessing it's been to be able to be in your house. So thank you for Brother Gibbs and for all of those that are involved in the, uh, in the work there and uh, what they're doing on behalf of churches and on behalf of individuals that are standing up for the cause of Christ. I pray that you'd uh, help them to be successful. I pray that you'd help them as they uh, <clears throat> decide which cases would be the best to push religious liberty forward in America. And of course, I pray 
that above all of that, the church of Christ would be lifted up because Jesus Christ is lifted up. And I pray that you would help us uh, to always do that here as well. I pray that you'd help us to be the witness for you that you want us to be. Thank you for the message tonight that was uh, right in line with that, God. And I pray that you just help us to be bold in, uh, in sharing the gospel. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.